24. One of the dinner guests said to Jesus, Blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of land and I have to go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I've just been married and therefore I cannot come. So the servant returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the roads and lanes and compel the people to come in so that my house may always be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. Thus ends the reading. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Good morning again. The scripture reading from the Gospel of Luke today takes us to a dinner party. And boy, do I love to eat. Just one look at me makes it redundant for me to even say it. But I'll say it again. I love to eat. I've been paid in food almost more often than I've been paid in money to help friends. And I am a professional buffet eater, training since I was a kid. There's a strategy to getting your money's worth from the buffet. Your first two trips are to grab plates of your favorite entrees and sides. The second trip might be to get more of something that was especially good the first time around, although if the buffet is expansive enough, you might get two uniquely filled plates. Now, it's also important to remember that between each trip to fill a plate, you also allow yourself to sit still and let everything just rest and settle. After the second plate, it's time to hit the desserts. And make sure you grab a dinner plate, though, and not one of those tiny dessert plates. And also, if there's ice cream, grab a bowl from the soup station and not one of those tiny bowls that's next to the ice cream machine. Enjoy those desserts. Sit for a bit. Let things settle. Next up is the bonus round. Another trip to grab the extra tasty entrees and sides and maybe another helping of those wonderful desserts. Now, are you sick yet? (laughs) I I followed this buffet pattern more than a few times when I was a teenager. Growing up Southern Baptist, we always made sure church got out before the Methodists did and we could beat them to the buffet. And I tried this as an adult and it hasn't gone so well. I don't have the buffet stamina that I used to, but still, I love to eat. And I'm very happy that I have that in common with Jesus. In Luke, 
we have instances of Jesus eating more than we do in any other of the Gospels. Lots of times he's eating with folks or he's talking about eating, and I'm okay with that. And meals and banquets were important in the contemporary culture in the Roman Empire. They were opportunities for elite people to show off their wealth, and very often banquets obligated invited guests to future reciprocation with an invitation. Now, does that sound familiar? Stuff hasn't changed a whole lot since those times. It was all about being seen and seeing who was there, about making sure the right people were invited to the right places and excluding those who didn't meet up to the host's standards. Jesus did a lot of talking about and at banquets and meals, and he pushed back against the cultural norms of his day, which we've just seen are the cultural norms of our day, because they were oppressive and exclusionary. And nearly all of Luke chapter 14 is centered around banquets and food. Jesus arrives at this banquet and notices that the self-important guests have chosen important places at the table. In Roman times, there were specific places where folks would sit and those of higher status would sit in certain areas where they could see more of the Roman villa or see more of the host, those sorts of things. Status mattered, and that's what determined where you sat. But Jesus says, when you show up at a dinner party, you should choose the seat that is for people who are less important than you think you are. That way, the host doesn't call you out and have you move when someone who is really important to them shows up. It's a call to humility that we all know Jesus consistently made throughout his ministry. Also in Greco-Roman culture, Invitations were given and expected to be reciprocated. I invited you, you're going to invite me. The whole scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It could be economic or social or political or personal, and that's not very foreign to us today either. Jesus says at this dinner people shouldn't do that. He tells his hosts, that instead of inviting people who will invite you back, or we could expand it to say that instead of helping people who will help you back, they should invite those who have been left out. The poor, the hungry, the sick, the disabled, the oppressed, and the marginalized. Scandalous Jesus strikes again. This kind of thinking is utterly counterintuitive to what the cultural norms were in the Roman Empire and even the cultural norms today. Jesus shows that we have it twisted, and that's something that he did an awful lot. Now, the focus for today's text directly directly follows those admonitions from Jesus, and in it he tells a parable about a great banquet. The host has planned the banquet in advance, and very much like we do today, Invitations have gone out, and folks have sent their RSVP. When the day of the banquet comes, the host sends word that the party is on. 
at least three guests send excuses as to why they can't come. Now, how many of us have RSVP'd to something and then not gone? Or have you ever received an RSVP from someone for a party that you're hosting, but that person doesn't show up? My guess is that we're familiar with both of those instances. So in this story, the host becomes enraged. And I have to confess that when I've read this in the past, I didn't really think about why the host got so angry. Certainly disappointed, certainly a little upset, but he's actually in a rage. But then I came across an analysis of this story that pointed out something that's pretty obvious. The guests were actually probably lying and making up their excuses. So the first guest says they bought some land and they need to go take a look at it. Well, who buys land without taking a look at it first? Now that would cause me a little bit of rage if I were hosting that party and got that excuse. The second one says they got some new oxen and they need to go try them out. Now, who's going to buy animals to work on their farm without making sure the animals can actually do the work on the farm first? And the third one says they just got married and can't come to the banquet. Now, in a tiny town where everyone knows everyone else and where no one would schedule a banquet around the same time as the wedding, that's probably the easiest excuse to see through and the one that caused the most anger. But the host is stuck now. The food's been bought. The food's been prepared. The party is ready to go on. So he breaks with the norm, and he sends his servants out to invite the poor and the sick and the disabled, the hungry and the marginalized, the ones that would never have even been thought of to be invited to the banquet. So the servants do that, and they come back and they say, but there's still more space. So the host sends them out again to the alleyways, the dark and forgotten places, and to the country lanes, the roads outside of the town limits, and says, invite anyone and everyone you see, no matter what, because this place is going to be full, and those who made an excuse not to come will not have space to be here. Now, today is the first Sunday of the month, and that means we observe the Lord's Supper or Communion today here at St. John's. And when we do that, we're observing the grace that God has shown us by inviting us into relationship with God. We have been included in this invitation, and we are to extend the invitation to anyone and everyone if you've been part of the St. John's community for the last few years, then you've probably heard me talk about communion and how important it is to me that we have what we call an open table here, that anyone can participate. Communion and baptism are two of the most important ordinances or sacraments performed in the Christian church. The ways they're administered and the specific beliefs surrounding them and their accessibility to people varies widely among various Christian sects and denominations. I grew up primarily in Southern Baptist and Presbyterian, specifically 
PCA, Presbyterian Church in America, denominations. Both are conservative. They have deep southern roots. They do not ordain women. They're not accepting of LGBTQIA plus people. And there are some major theological differences between them, but they're very similar culturally. When communion was observed in those churches I attended in my youth, there was always a warning against partaking if your heart was not right with God. And there was an implication that an extra hot fire awaited those who took communion knowing that they were not quote-unquote saved. The invitation to partake in communion was open only insofar as the condition of one's soul was right. Certainly my understanding of my very being as a queer person meant that my soul could never be right. The banquet of communion in the denominations in which I had been raised was a banquet where I did not and would never belong. This is the case of many Christian denominations and in many non-denominational Christian churches. There is no room at the banquet for queer people, for divorced people, for disabled people, for children, for so-called unrepentant sinners, which could include those aforementioned queer and divorced people, among others. In the United Church of Christ generally, and at St. John's specifically, everyone belongs at this banquet. Every single person. I think it's safe to say that those who have been part of a St. Of St. John's community for many years, those of us who have been apart for only a few years, and those who may have only just joined us virtually in this time of pandemic, we're here because we know that there are no barriers at St. John's to our full inclusion and participation in this community of faith. This has been part of our free-flowing conversation in the new St. John's men's group. We've only met twice so far. And during our first online meeting, we shared with each other about our faith journeys and how they brought us all to St. John's. All of us essentially agreed that we landed here because it's a place where we feel we truly belong. And for some of us, it's the first time we've been in a faith community that has embraced us fully and given us a true sense of belonging. It's impossible to talk about belonging and St. John's without also talking about Steve Sandalock. Steve was with us for that first men's group conversation and his memory was the core of our second conversation as we processed the loss. Steve was to me the embodiment of the kind of joy and thriving that results when a faith community embraces a person and gives them a place where they truly belong. And boy, did Steve know about feasts. Every time I mentioned I was scheduled to preach, he would immediately tell me which saint or feast was associated with that Sunday. 
Steve would always tell me how great it was to have a queen in the pulpit when I preached. He'd greet me on my preaching Sunday and let me know that he'd already adjusted the height of the lectern in the pulpit for me because Pastor Jenny's shorter. And there was always a bottle of water there just in case I needed it. Steve was my amen and my amen corner. This church, our community gave him life and it showed. I miss him. And we all miss him. What I want to remember and what I want all of us to remember as we observe communion today is that St. John's provided a safe harbor for Steve. It provides a safe harbor for me. And it provides a safe harbor for all of us to be the authentically vulnerable people that God created us to be. So often we are told that we don't belong or that we have to change in order to belong. But I know this isn't true. At this communion banquet, Steve belongs. You belong. I belong. Everyone belongs at this banquet. There are no qualifications and there are no exceptions. May this celebration of communion today be a celebration of the grace of God and Jesus Christ, a celebration of our St. John's community, and a celebration of Steve, who I am pretty sure is making sure there are bottomless mimosas at heaven's banquet table right now.